Hi, Steve here. Do you know what the problem is with labels? The problem is they get stuck on top of the thing that they're attached to and in the process cover it up so you can't see it. And that's really unfortunate. I'll tell you what else is unfortunate. We assign labels without even thinking about it. We don't always mean anything by it, but they're hurtful and divisive all the same. Today, for example, we're at a place where we vilify those who call themselves Republicans or Democrats. It's a really dangerous practice because we're directing venom at the label, but because the label is attached to a person, they get splashed in the process. And truthfully, do we really know who they are? Isn't it worth at least trying to get to know the person behind the label? I think it is. I did an experiment the other day. I called a friend of mine in the Midwest and I asked him to identify for me a friend who's on the other end of the political spectrum from me. Now, in the interest of transparency, I'm a center-leaning Democrat, which means that there are things about the beliefs of both parties that I both agree and disagree with, and I'd like to reconcile in the interests of the country. So before I knew it, I was on the phone with Alan. Now, before I continue, a bit of background. Before we moved overseas, we lived in Midland, Texas. We had two high schools, Robert E. Lee and Ulysses S. Grant. You get the picture? The next town over was Odessa, where the TV show Friday Night Lights took place. Football down there isn't a sport, it's a religion. So I may live in Vermont and all that that implies, but I'm from the South and all that that implies. The quickest way to narrow the chasm of ideology between two people is to show that there really isn't one. So back to Alan. I've never met him, but I knew of him from the friend that I asked to introduce us. I knew that Alan was a lifelong, ardent Republican. I knew him to be, by his own description, a bleeding-heart conservative, whatever that means. He's well-informed, reasonable, and passionate. I knew that he graduated from high school in a very small town in southern Ohio, never went to college, worked for a while as a high-end tractor technician, and is now a farmer. I knew that he was a voracious reader was interested in the history of World War II and the Korean War and Vietnam, and apparently didn't suffer fools well of any persuasion. Now, from our mutual friend, Alan knew enough about me to be mildly interested in having a conversation. As I said, we were, by design, from opposite ends of the political rainbow. I lived in deep blue Vermont. He lived in the dark red center of the nation. I had academic letters glued on the end of my name. He had certificates from farm equipment manufacturers and farm field management programs. Family was everything to both of us, and we both mourned the recent loss of a dog. We were roughly the same age. In my life and work, I had visited more than 90 countries and had flown well over 3 million miles in my career. He knew everything about everyone in his town of 1,700 people, and other than a tour in the Army, had never been more than 200 miles from home. Alan answered the phone when I called, and we chatted for a few minutes before I took us into the reason for the call. I explained my anger and sadness over the ideological national divide and told him that I was on a one-person mission to understand and try to heal it to the extent that it could be healed. I couldn't do it alone, I told him, and if our call went the way I was hoping it would, we'd become allies on the same mission working behind the lines of ideological distance. I told him that for the next half hour, we would both park our asses and elephants outside and have a conversation without political trappings. No party, no ideological speech-making, no tribal leanings, just two people meeting for the first time 
talking about life. He agreed. We agreed that we didn't know if it would work, and we laughed. And we listened. I told him that I had a list of questions that I wanted to ask, and I encouraged him to do the same. I was very clear that this was not an attempt to trap him or trip him up. This really was an exercise in understanding. Ultimately, he added a couple of questions to the list. We ended up asking each other all the questions. We both learned a lot about ourselves, and the conversation lasted just over 90 minutes. Now, as it turned out, our answers were pretty much identical, other than a few areas that we couldn't get around. Here are the questions with summarized answers from both of us. The first question was, what are you interested in? Well, Alan told me he was interested in crop science, technology that makes farming more efficient. We had a surprisingly technical conversation, in fact, about Internet of Things and big data and analytics and geolocation. He said he was interested in how birds and other animals migrate, the futures market for coin, soybeans, and pork, which are the three things that he raises. I told him that I was interested in technologies that make life better for people, especially in places where everyday life can be crushingly difficult, the evolving world of publishing and media in general, and how journalism actually works. The next question was, what do you believe? He said, I know we're not supposed to be talking politics, but I believe in the Constitution. I believe in fiscal conservatism. I believe that the federal government should be small and that the states should have a major role in determining their future. Allen said, I believe that America is a great country that is also imperfect. He said he believed that success is earned, not guaranteed, and that people have the right to become whatever they want to become and that government shouldn't get in the way. I agreed with everything he said, and I added a few things. I told him that I believe that the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are exactly that. They're rights. That government should do everything in its power to ensure that those rights are available to everyone. And our political system is set up so that the government serves the people, not the other way around. The next thing we talked about was our reading habits. I asked Alan what he liked to read. He reads a lot. He said, I love our local newspaper and the Wall Street Journal. I love the Sunday New York Times. I love articles from Wired Magazine. I like anything about history that mostly focuses on Vietnam. He had just finished the Ken Burns video series. And from a fiction side of the house, anything by David Morrell and Carl Hyacin. My response was that I like pretty much everything, but to be a bit focused, the local paper in whatever city I'm traveling to, Seven Days, which is a local Burlington, Vermont independent newspaper, The New York Times, The Economist, Wired, Anything by David Attenborough. I told him I loved espionage thrillers, like the ones written by David Morrell that he likes, and surprisingly, and this made us both laugh out loud and compare our favorite titles, Anything by David Morrell and Carl Hyacin. The next question was Alan's. He asked me what I pay attention to. I told him trends in globalization, especially as they relate to changes in global power structures and the creation of markets, the growing role of technologies like artificial intelligence, robotics, machine learning, natural language processing, Internet of Things, and cloud. And by the way, Alan had a lot to say about this. How the introduction of new technologies affects job creation and destruction. Deliberate educational efforts to create jobs when new technologies cause legacy jobs to disappear. And I told him that I pay a lot of attention to voices that make sense to me. Among them, Alan Alda, Greta Thunberg, David Attenborough, and Fareed Zakaria. 
Allen said that he pays attention to political decisions that lead to changes in demand for the crops that he grew, especially in China, shifting regulations around crop treatments like Roundup, the futures and commodity markets, job reports, especially in the Midwest, and technologies that affect job creation and destruction. We were very much in agreement there. The next thing we talked about was hobbies. Kind of fun. Alan is really into drone photography of patterns in his crops, hunting, fishing. He said he makes terrible noises on a guitar and worse noises when he sings, and he likes stargazing. I told him that I like nature and landscape photography, wildlife sound recording, and scuba diving, and that I also made noise on a guitar. Next, I asked Alan what he wanted for his children and his grandchildren. He told me a future that doesn't limit their ability to achieve their dreams, affordable health care and education, unlimited opportunities to grow and succeed, safety and security, and a country they can be proud to live in. And then he said economic security and peace. I didn't change a single word. Alan's next question was interesting. He wanted to know one thing I would change in the world if I could. I told him I would ask that people be willing to have their minds changed when a better idea comes along and that they be more civil with each other when discussing ideas they disagree on. I cheated and added one more. I told him I'd make people more curious about pretty much everything. Alan said that he would ask that people be more respectful of each other and more willing to listen to opinions that are different from their own. Then it was my turn. My next question was a little bit weird. What are you afraid of? What scares you? Alan said, I'm scared that we're teaching our kids to hate. I'm scared that people are learning to be afraid of each other because of their differences instead of looking for things they have in common. I'm scared that so many people in this country turn to the government to help them be successful instead of doing it themselves. I'm scared of creeping government overreach, trying to do things that I'm perfectly capable of doing myself. I nodded and said, I agree with all those. And I said, I'm scared of leaving my kids and grandkids a world that won't offer them the things that Alan described. I told him that I'm scared that we're allowing things like climate change and the environment to become politicized instead of looking at the science to help us make the right decisions about them. I told him I'm scared that corporations are becoming too powerful and that government isn't being watchful enough. And I'm scared that we aren't doing more as a nation to educate people and create jobs for the future. It's funny, the one question we both had on our lists was this one. How do you want to be remembered? And we both said the same thing. As a good husband, father, and grandfather, as someone who laughed a lot and made other people laugh, and as someone who also tried to do the right thing, as someone who made other people feel important, and as someone who was a patriot and a good citizen. I have to say, that was a pretty uplifting conversation. I'm going to go out of my way to have more conversations like it, because what came from it was clear. We are far more alike in our thinking than we are different, regardless of the label that stuck to our foreheads. Hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did... I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode.